Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Have you ever been lost before? Anyone been lost? Oh, it's awful. Uh, I think I've shared the story. I got lost on the Natchez Trace one time thinking I was smarter than the GPS and, and that didn't work out well. Um, uh, but if you've been lost, maybe you were a child and you got lost in a store. Uh, I don't know what's more terrifying, being a child and being lost in a store, not knowing where, where mom is, or being the mom, not knowing where the child is, and, uh, or being the dad and not knowing where the child is. But uh, anytime we're lost, it's that, that moment of panic, and we don't like to be lost. So today we're going to hopefully look at some scripture, and discuss not getting lost. And really, if we get lost, it's really no one's fault but ourselves. And it's important for us to know how to navigate through life so that we will one day be able to enjoy the promises that God has for us. But if you've ever taken a trip before, you know it's important to know where you're starting from. It's important to know where you're starting from. And then it's also important to know where you currently are. So when you, before you start, you need to know where you're starting from. But even along the journey, you need to know where you came from so you don't maybe go backwards and you keep going toward your journey. So you need to know where you start, where you are, and where you're going. And those are the three points. If you like taking notes, those are our three points that we'll be looking at today. But it's important for us to know beginnings. You see, beginnings are hard. Imagine if you were to watch a race. Now, we'll be, hopefully, all of us will be in spirit cheering on one of our very own who's running the Boston Marathon tomorrow. But imagine if you were watching either that race or you were watching a race in the Olympics and everybody lined up and, you know, runners take your mark or whatever they say and then go. And then imagine if everybody ran except for like one person, and they just kind of stood there at the start line, and kind of just stood there. You'd be confused. I'd be confused. Uh, I would say this, you're missing the point. This is not how this works. You have to move. So, you know, beginnings are hard. They're, they're, the, how you begin and how you finish are two very difficult things to do in anything. For me, uh, beginning something isn't as hard as finishing it. That's because I have ADD and I'm changing what I do every five minutes. I'm like, oh, cool. I want to start this hobby. Oh, I want to start this hobby. And I never finish anything. And uh, at least projects. Work-wise, a uh, different story for, before you start getting a little worried. But uh, beginnings are hard. But also beginnings are important. Imagine if you were watching a movie and the movie ended right as it began. And I'm not talking about when movies end or start at the end and then they have a big flashback and you watch the whole movie and then it ends where it began. That's not what I'm talking about. I think of, 
You know, the Marvel movies are so successful. They always have that introduction few clips, and then it breaks to the, you know, the Avengers or whatever, you know, movie title you're waiting for. Imagine right as that title popped up, the screen went black and movie over. Well, if you'd be frustrated for several reasons. One, you got my attention and you didn't finish the story. I would be upset because I paid all this money to be in the theater and now I don't get to watch a movie. But no, no matter how we look at it, beginnings are important. And the same is true in our own story. Beginnings are important. Where we've been, where we started is very important. We're going to be, oh, can you see that? You cannot see that. But on that screen, you can. We'll be in Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 and verse 3 says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That's where we've been. See, Paul here is saying, this is who you once were. You once were all these things. You once were, I love this, foolish. The Bible doesn't use that word very sparing. I mean, it uses the word very sparingly. It, it, it's a very serious word. You were once foolish. You were disobedient. You were led astray. And then we have some, especially in, in this very this word that carries a lot of baggage. He says, slaves to various passions. Because your passions owned you. Your passions controlled you. You were foolish to allow that. You were disobedient. You were, you were allowing your passions to control your life, your pleasures, and then passing your days. You were spending your days. You were consumed. You were obsessed with what? Malice and envy. It says you were hated by others and you were hating one another. Now, I'm reading in between the lines here, but it almost, to me, sounds like Paul saying, and you enjoyed it. You enjoyed the division. You enjoyed, I mean, let's be honest, who doesn't enjoy pleasure? You know, we all enjoy pleasure. He says, you were slaves to your pleasures, though. You didn't just control them and allow yourselves to use them in a, in a righteous way, in a healthy way, but they consumed you. But then you also, says, you were consumed. You are passing your days in malice and envy. You are being hated and you hated others and you liked it. You are proud of standing for what you were standing for, even when it wasn't something God approved of, even though it wasn't something that made God happy. This is where you once were. It says, you know, you were broken. You were helpless. You know, you were, you were lost because this is where you started. Now, obviously, we all know that children are innocent, so children don't start this way. But when we start learning the difference between good and evil, we all sin. It's human nature. We all have fallen and sinned. And here we have saying, this is where you once were. But there's some good news, and we'll get to there in just a second. But I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. I'm so glad that God's story with us, see, and I had to change my notes because uh, I'm big on this and I even put it wrong because it's so ingrained in our head. This isn't our story. This is, you know, he's saying, my story doesn't end here, but it's not our story. It's God's story. And we're just characters in the story of God playing an important role in his overarching story of salvation 
his overarching story of love for us. But our story doesn't end with being foolish, disobedient, led astray, being slaves to our passions and pleasures and hating others and being hated. That sounds real depressing. That sounds like a really bad story. And I I don't wanna watch that story. Speaking of stories, uh, I've I've been blessed with the opportunity to attend a storytelling conference. And uh, I was at being, I was able to meet the director of Sesame Street, a creative director at Marvel, the producer of Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, the, the animated version. And I think he helped out with the, the live action. And a guy named Brad Montague with Kid President, who, who, I know very, who I knew before he was famous. But those men are absolutely brilliant. But watching those men build a story, when it starts off, they all agree. And Pixar even says, in the beginning, our stories are terrible. Beginnings are hard. Beginnings are very hard. Don Hahn was, was talking and he said that beating the beast almost didn't happen. <laughs> he says the first take and the first storyboard of beating the beast was so bad, the executives from Disney were like, it's time to, 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 to stop. It's, this is not working. They brought on somebody else and they made it work. You see, the good news is our story is not finished. Yeah, I did it again. God's story with us isn't finished and we can improve. We don't have to stay this way. But that also means edits in our lives have to take place. We can't stay this way. We might have to remove things and add things so that our lives are more successful, healthy, beneficial, but also so that God can use us faithfully. Some of the most encouraging words you'll read is this right here, but God. See, we were once foolish, maybe, but God. In verse four, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. But, and then you can put a parentheses around those descripting words, but it's but God, our Savior. I love that. There's the break, there's the shift in the story. Here's the good news. You were once this way, but God. And what's so special about that? His goodness, his loving kindness, God, our Savior. He saved us. He loved us even when we were foolish, even when we were disobedient, even when we were slaves to our passions, even when we were consumed with malice and envy and consumed with hatred, he still loved us. And he showed us his goodness and his loving kindness by sending Jesus to save us. This is where we are. Now, we're in two different categories under this where we are. This is the important part when you're maybe at the mall or somewhere. I love it when maps have the you are here sign. Um, when I'm at zoos, they don't have the you are here sign and it's really confusing because if you're like me, I look at the map and I unfold it and I can figure out kind of the landmarks around me, but I always seem to have it upside down and I always head in the opposite direction. I'm like, okay, this is here. I'll go this direction and I get lost. So the you are here, though, is is so important. And we are right here, but God. 
but the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared and he saved us. We have the opportunity to have that salvation. And we do one of two things. We either reject it or accept it. We all are in the same point in life where God has already came. He already sent his son. He already died on the cross. And he says, I have given you salvation. You just need to take it. Some of us have taken it. Some of us have become Christians. Some of us have been baptized in the waters of baptism, in his blood, the death, burial, and then resurrection, been brought in newness of life. Some of us haven't. But we're all in the same position that God has changed the story. It didn't, we are no longer in the position, we, we no longer have to be where we once were, lost, broken, helpless, blind to the truth. Jesus says, and Luke records Jesus saying that the blind can't lead the blind. Jesus, we have to have our eyes opened. We have to allow God to change our lives. But notice what Paul goes on to write in the rest of this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. I love how Paul, and I, and I say love in, a, in almost a sarcastic way, but it's almost in a, in a lightning way. Paul had to put that qualifier there saying, it's not because of anything we've done. He says, it's not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now notice, well, it's almost like an obvious statement. Well, you just finished telling me I once was foolish, disobedient, slaves to my own passions. So of course it's not because of anything I've done. Uh, I've been in sin. And he's saying, but God came, he saved you, not because of you, not because of anything you've done. You didn't earn this. You don't deserve this. It's because of his loving kindness, his goodness, his righteousness, and then I love this word, according to his own mercy. That's, that's the good news. I could stop there and it would be a great lesson. I could stop there and be like, here's great news. Enjoy that blessing. Enjoy that mercy. Enjoy the blessing of eternal life. But we need to keep going. And uh, it's not over just yet. See, it's not because of what we've done, but it's because of who was on the cross. See, when we talk about, if I back up, where we are, well, right now we're at the foot of the cross. At this part of the story, we are at the foot of the cross where Jesus died, where Jesus in loving kindness whoops, saved us. Not because of our works, not because of our righteousness, but because of his own mercy, because of his love for us so we could enjoy the blessings of being with him forever. We are justified because of his grace. Let's read this next little bit of this. And I'm, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, again, not because of our works, done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And here it is, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our son. I love that. He didn't just give a little bit. He poured out on us richly, generously. It's like having a bowl of soup and someone just gives you like a little drop. Or, um, oh, 
this, this made me mad. We were at uh, a restaurant, one of those restaurants, uh, Italian restaurants, and they have the fresh cheese. The stingiest cheese lady ever. I was, she goes, you want some cheese? And she did like a half a rotation and then like walked away. And I was like, whoa, I didn't say when. You know, just keep, keep grinding. You know, so here Jesus is, I'm pouring out on you richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is where we're going. Almost there. We're almost where we're going. And this is when it says, why are we doing this? So that we might become, look at that, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Being an heir is, is pretty important. In old times, an heir to the throne was significant. But also today, we still all have heirs in a sense of an heir to an estate. You know, like a benefactor, not a benefactor, the beneficiary. So you have the, someone when, when they pass, they have an estate and it's passed down to their heirs, uh, depending on wills and all that good stuff. So when I think of that, when you have an estate, the heirs get everything according to the, the will that lays out the rules for the estate to be dispersed. And here, Paul is saying, we are justified by his grace to become heirs. Heirs of what? Of God's stuff. We become heirs of the most valuable thing God has to offer, eternal life. He says, this is my most prized possession. It's like when you, you, know, you know, grandma has the thing that all the grandkids, all the kids want. And they say, well, who's going to get the cabinet? You know, the, 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 the most prized possession owned in the house. And unfortunately, that's when we see fights sometimes. But here, there is no fighting. We can all be heirs of the most valuable thing God owns, God has to offer. That's life with him forever. That's a blessing. That's worth achieving. That's the direction we're trying to go. He's saying, you were once foolish, and then we were brought to the cross. He said, I saved you. You didn't have to stay that way. You can have new life so that you can become my heir. So you can spend eternity with me. That's where we're going. We're going to be with him one day. But we're not just, I say that, going to be with him one day. That's not the only destination we should have in mind. There's other destinations we should have in mind. And I'm not talking about spirit, you know, necessarily uh, there's anything better than, than eternity with Jesus, eternity with God. But there's other destinations on this life that we need to aim for. Let's go to Titus 3 still in verse um, 8. And uh, did I not put 8 through the rest of it? We'll keep reading anyway. It says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now that's where we're going. During the story that God has set before us, our character has to have a character arc, like every character. Good movies, good shows, good books, good literature, the stories develop, the characters develop over time. If a character stays stagnant through the whole story, it's a boring story, it's a boring character. They have to either develop positively or negatively 
for us to be able to enjoy what we're reading, what we're watching. Our own lives are the same way. We don't ever just stay stagnant. We're either moving closer or further away, farther further away from, from God. So, so here we are saying, this is the trustworthy saying. This is what I want you to insist. This is what your obsession has to be. Not those foolish passions, not the arguments, not the division, not the hate, but this. Devote yourselves to good works. Devote yourselves to good works. This is the direction we should be headed in. Now, good works, not in a sense of earning our salvation, but because God says your faith has to have substance. You can't just claim to say, I do this, but I don't have to show it. James says, faith without works is dead. Our faith has to have substance. There is no such thing as an inactive faith. There's active faith and there's no faith. <laughs> there is no such thing as inactive faith. So we have this devote ourselves to good works. That means we have to get busy working in the kingdom now. We have to get busy working in the kingdom, serving God and serving his people. See, as we serve God, what happens? We'll become more and more like Jesus. The goal in life is for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. Serving God will help that, but also Jesus served others. Serving his people, loving his church, loving the lost will help us become more like Jesus. Being devoted to good works. Being really a Psalm 1 person. We just read that at the beginning of, of the services, being a Psalm 1 person, being devoted to scripture and then practicing it, not standing in, you know, not, uh, you know, being in the wrong environment, being surrounded by the wrong influences, but being surrounded by righteousness and being alike to those around us. So we have where we should go. Now, what about where we shouldn't go? Titus 3, 9 and following says, but now, and I love this, he goes back to the word foolish. It's like bookmarks, foolish and foolish are your bookends. He says, cancel, um, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, this is very strong uh, right here, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is where we don't want to go. <laughs> This is the stuff we want to get out of our lives. If we're headed for a destination, we also have to know where not to go. If I want to go visit family in Louisiana, I'm not going to go north. I go, oh, I'm going to get there eventually. Well, um, no, but I mean, technically, I guess, but you kind of have to make it through the North Pole without dying. But, and then Antarctica without dying. But I digress. So we, we have this, this issue here of, well, this why would he say this? Because this is human nature. This is a problem that was going on then and it's a problem now. He says, avoid these, con these foolish controversies. These things that don't matter. We argue about the silliest things. Have you ever been in the middle of an argument, maybe with a family member or a spouse or a friend, and then halfway through it, you're going, I don't even know what we're arguing about anymore, <laughs> but I know I have to win. <laughs> The foolish controversies are meaningless. These genealogies, they, like the, they were obsessed with those. Dissensions, quarrels about the law, they were arguing about things that had no substance, things that really didn't matter toward a life with Jesus. And he's saying, why are you obsessed with this? And then verse 10 is, is very, very 
very powerful and very strong, very a strong warning when he says this. He goes, this is what Paul, it seems to me, he says, this is my pet peeve. This is what I can't stand the most and what God hates. He says, a person who stirs up division. Because as for that person, here's what to do about that person. Because we have no room, no tolerance for division. Now there, there's, we see some chances, some forgiveness in these, these warnings. But he says, as for those people who refuse to avoid foolishness, who are still acting like what we said in verses you know, uh, three, being foolish, disobedient, slaves to passions, malice, envy, hating others. He says, if you're gonna consume yourself with division and not and let your preferences supersede unity, let your preferences supersede maturity, then there's one thing to say, I'm gonna stand for truth. God says this, the Bible says this. We should hold our, guard, hold our ground when it comes to biblical truth. To, a God, to God's will. I'm not disagreeing with that. We can do that in a loving way, of course. But when it comes to the divisions he's talking about here, these preferences, these foolish controversies, he says, after for these people who have this goal in mind, to be right above righteousness, he says, as for a person who stirs up division, warn him once, then twice, and then after that, have nothing to do with him. That's, that's a pretty strong words. And if I'm reading this, when I read this, I pray that I'm not that person. I pray that I'm not someone who's allowing myself to be consumed with winning an argument, with having things my way at the expense of righteousness, at the expense of unity. He's saying, what should we be focused on? Well, here in verse eight, what was it? Good works, getting busy. If we're busy doing good works, we're not gonna have time to complain. If we're busy doing good works, we're not gonna have time to point a finger at other people because we're gonna be busy doing good things. And if we're all doing good things, then the church will grow. The church will be healthy. It says they are excellent and profitable for people. Now, for people, for us, it's not, oh, it's profitable for somebody else. No, it's profitable for us. If we're doing these things, we're gonna benefit from it. But if we're too consumed with not respecting each other, not respecting leaders, not respecting Bible, because God tells us don't participate in foolish controversies, but be consumed with good works. You see, that's a place where I wanna be. I wanna be a place of unity, of growth and maturity. That's a place where I'm hoping our destination is ahead. We can help each other get there. I wanna be there. Uh, do you? I hope you do. Be a place of unity, of growth, maturity. That'll be beneficial for us, but that'll also be pleasing to our heavenly father. We can help each other get there. If you need prayers to say, hey, I, I, I need to do better. More than likely, so do I. So does everybody else. See, that's, that's the truth about transformation. We've never arrived fully at being transformed into Jesus. 
We always have room to grow. It's, it's, we've, we can never say, oh, I'm done. I look good. You know, we've never arrived there. But we can always keep improving so that we continue to grow in unity, continue to grow in faith, continue to grow in maturity. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe you haven't started the, the moment where you can be raised in newness of life so you can enjoy the promise of eternal life so you can get busy working right alongside of us. There's lots of work to be done and we need more workers. We need more people walking alongside of us so we can accomplish God's will together, but also so we can have other people to help us through our walk, through our story arc in God's big picture, God's big story, so he can bless all of us together. Whether your need is prayers or you need to become a Christian or you just need encouragement, please come now while we stand and sing. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.